Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. Uh, not the USL show, uh, but we do have a USL show uh, visitor tonight. Uh, John Morrissey of USL Tactics, of the USL show, of some other things we're going to find out uh, that you're up to. John, I'm excited to catch up and I decided to just catch up on the show itself. So I will be learning with the listeners what you're up to lately. Um, welcome to this show, Flyover Footy, man. How you been? Yeah, doing really well. Really excited to get the chance to reconnect with you and talk about some soccer in St. Louis. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, and I'm actually I'm excited to pick your brain about what you think about like the roster build. I, I'm sure you've taken a peek because I know you, uh, so that'll be yeah. fun to hear as well. But first, I want to catch up on you personally. Like last, I heard you were working with Tampa Bay, and so we couldn't talk about Tampa Bay rowdy stuff too, too, <laughs> too uh, exact. Um, but I think I've read online that you have a, a different gig, and you have, you've graduated from college, you have a new job. Like, let's bring me up to date on all three of those things. Yeah, so I guess starting timeline-wise, naturally, with the Tampa Bay thing, I uh, was doing an internship with them where I would provide a scouting report for whoever they were playing in the next week. And that was mainly based on data, video analysis, trying to be as all-encompassing as possible. I did a little bit of help um, in terms of their player scouting that offseason, but then moved on and took on a pretty similar role with Sacramento for the 2022 season. And Sacramento made the run to the Open Cup final, which I got to help out with the opposition scouting on really short notice for that, which was a complete blast. Uh, Mark Briggs, their coach, is the nicest guy in the world. So that was a great opportunity for me. And we'll see what gives that may or may not continue into next season. But I'm just grateful for the opportunity to have been involved at all. Yeah, um, yeah college-wise, graduated from NYU in the spring and then got a job in consulting. And meanwhile, I also picked up some additional writing at Backheeled, where I mainly focused on the USL, but then was hitting up uh, articles about the U.S. national team in the World Cup. So staying busy on every front, basically. Yes. Okay. I have a million questions. Um, First of all, did you get to kind of help out with like that Sacramento Open Cup run was a lot of fun as well as obviously the playoffs, too. So did you get to help out with that? Yeah. So, I mean, whenever they would win in advance, it would kind of be cramming for me of watch Uh, the last four games that Orlando played or whatever (laughs) and try to synthesize that as best I could. But it was a total blast where I watch MLS, but I don't deep dive it in the same way that I would the USL. Mm. So having an opportunity to try to cram in something that I'm not as familiar with is always a fun challenge. Yeah, I imagine, especially, yeah, something so new like MLS. And you don't have, there's no way you have time to watch MLS regularly. So that must have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can you, is there, I don't know what you're allowed to talk about. This is always something we had to be careful about on the USL show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is there anything you can like kind of hint at, like some ideas or or things that happened that where you were like, yeah, I I played a hand in that? Or or are you not able to kind of talk about that? Um, There were times, I'm thinking about like the LA Galaxy game in particular in the Open Cup where like I had sent some stuff along and talked to Mark about specific things that LA did that I thought uh, Sacramento could take advantage of tactically. And I don't know whether or not I was actually behind anything that went on, but two minutes into the game, they score essentially attacking the weakness that I had kind of been honing in on. And so again, like even if I had the effect or not, it feels like I'm having an impact. And that for me is kind of magical. Like having grown up watching 
Mississippi Brilla against Indy 11 on my Cujo TV. <laughs> and then here I am, like, helping out with a nationally televised Open Cup game. That's so surreal. That's amazing, man. I just love tracking your career. And uh, are you able to say, like, what that tactic was, perhaps? Um, it was mainly just that on the left side for um, the Galaxy, well, both of their fullbacks really tended to get high and very narrow when they were in possession. Uh, they were a team that tried to keep the ball a lot and work it down the middle. And so if you could catch them in the counterattack, they were very poor. Um, if you were able to send your striker towards the sideline, essentially, then get a secondary runner in behind. So get to force them into rotation and they're bad at covering for that and sacramento took advantage yeah like i feel like a sacramento like something that's been true and maybe on accident but i feel like something that's been true for sacramento no matter like the last the whole time i've been involved in the us maybe like the five last four or five years they've always had a dynamic fast striker who was a good finisher who could just like the counter was like their you know, their meal, like you hand it to us, we're going to eat it and we're going to take you out on that. Like really awesome that, um, you know, LA galaxy was able to play into that. So I'm, I was really curious whether you would say the striker was going to go wide or whether they were going to try to use a yeah. winger or something as an outlet. So it sounds like the striker went wide and who was the secondary runner perhaps? Uh, yeah. Roro Ro- Ro- Lopez coming in. Roro, yes. Of course. Yeah. Classic, right? <laughs> Love it. Oh, so good. Yeah. And the fact that you were like, suggesting like oh you know send this striker who's awesome and then let roro run in like that's a suggestion you gave this year that's awesome yeah just like talking about like focus on this thing yeah it, it's surreal honestly yeah, yeah yeah how much fun that is um so your job though in new york did you say that you have that job plus you're doing some side work on top of that or did i misunderstand so I'm doing consulting. I work from home, luckily. Your main job is, is consulting. Main job is Got consulting. It. And then whatever I do with scouting and writing and posting too much on Twitter is just <laughs> for fun on the side. Nice, yeah. Um, you know, you were in college the whole time that we were doing the USL show together. And so it was really cool for you to... You were pretty settled early on, it sounded like, well before you graduated. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. It's a big deal nowadays, you know. <laughs> you never so fortunate, know. yeah. Um, so that's awesome to hear. But I, I did want to hear about your national team stuff. It feels like Backhield is finding all of my favorite like Twitter personalities and, and signing them up to do some work. So I'm not at all surprised you're you're involved in that. But it was really cool to see you comment on USMNT. It's cool to see that your work for USL translates like seamlessly, seemingly to USMNT. Was it pretty easy to switch over? So I think even more than MLS, I had kept up with the national team and kept a familiarity with some of the guys who had been nailed on into that lineup. And a lot of the work I was doing in terms of the national team was taking one moment from these World Cup games and trying to say, this was indicative of how the US was trying to press against England and that's Mm -hmm. why we ended up outplaying them. Or this is what the Netherlands was doing schematically with their defense such that they shut us down. So it was less a challenge of knowing every single thing about every single player and team and more of trying to take what I do with video analysis and just tactical awareness and applying that to the template of this game that happens to be the US and the World Cup. Yeah, that makes sense. And that totally falls in line with, you know, 
what I was thinking about. You can look at a USL game, you can look at an, a World Cup game, and, and you're going to be able to do the same work. That's really awesome, and I, it's cool that I got to see both. Um, as far as shortly, quickly, spe- specifically, two questions about national team. Anything in USA versus Netherlands, like in their game, like where did it go wrong or maybe what could they have done to, to maybe come out better in that game? Was it just legs? I'm kind of curious about that. To a certain extent, um, I think the Netherlands had this man-marking scheme, essentially, that really confused the U.S. early on. And we had been so successful throughout the group stage, not pounding home goals every minute, but creating pretty consistent chances because of the passing patterns we had through Adams and McKinney and Musa in the midfield. And the way that the Netherlands lined up forced those players to kind of lose their positioning lose their familiarity with where they want to go with their passes and so we had this stretch of the game where for whatever reason we just weren't able to connect in a coherent way Mm. and that set it up for the netherlands to get that lead and really see it through to the end yeah um i one thing i did read online and maybe i saw it from you was them shutting down it was interesting because Reem has been one of our more prolific uh passers you know st louis and tim Reem. um in the back and it looked like they took away his typical target as like a deliberate strategy. Is that one of the man marking things or what are the other man marking things? Yeah, no, you're hitting the nail on the head where so much of the offense was driven from those center backs playing the ball. Suddenly you've got these Dutch players getting in front of the U S midfield, denying those passing lanes Hmm. and suddenly everything has to change. Um, I do think that part of it came down to, the forwards and attackers weren't reacting in a strong enough way coming low to make themselves available for those passes. And so it was this kind of waterfalling effect of one thing goes wrong, the responses don't quite hit, and the Dutch were clinical. Clinical indeed. I mean, the uh, I, 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 there's no way you and I will know, but like you always wonder, like, where did Louis van Hall stop and where does the um you know soccer iq of the netherlands players start i mean i'm sure there's a lot of overlap there they're so talented yeah that 20 something pass sequence up to the goal (laughs) to uh, break up the scoring that's just next level yeah it really is yeah and i mean it shows that they did so well in the following round against uh was that argentina yeah argentina i mean come on it showed that we weren't you know idiots for losing to someone like netherlands they're just quality we're such a young team too at the end of the day this was a good world cup so yeah so the the other question quickly was um you know is there a wish list like what is the most important thing for the national this is a hard question i I apologize but uh what's the next thing for the national team what's the most important thing they can do between now and 2026 I think establishing an identity and chemistry early on, really trying to find a spine of players and a coach, whether that's Berhalter or not, I'm fairly agnostic on that issue, Hmm. but just getting someone who can make these players familiar with one another. Because at the end of the day, if you have players who are comfortable lining up with each other, that is an added benefit. Talent can take you a long way in these tournaments, and there's a flukiness to it all. Absolutely. But just getting some systemic knowledge is going to be useful going into 2026. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. That's cool to hear from you, though. Um, Let's move on to St. Louis. So there was a super draft tonight, and I just Googled to make sure I have the name wrong. You know how I'm bad at that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
so the super draft happened and before the super draft i've just been getting more and more nervous about the holes in our roster and mainly we're down to one which is the central midfield positions um and so i wanted to bring you on because i saw some of those like clips of a pirano um with san antonio and i was like my god we have a hole in the midfield and if we don't need a super defensive midfielder like pirano could easily I think he could step up to the MLS level naturally and easily. Um, and I thought, man, I've been looking for an excuse to bring John on the show. And I thought there's got to be like at least five to 10 USL players who could do that. And I'm just out of touch now. And I love the USL. And so I want to bring you on. But before, so we're going to talk about those players. Like you have a list of guys that maybe we can look at. But um, before we do that, let's talk about Ben Lunt. And so there's a rumor going around that typically by the time someone like Tom Bogert uh, or, or like of the like um, announces a, a rumor of some sort is probably true, right? So we can talk about Ben Lunt being signed from Phoenix Rising to St. Louis City SC more than likely has happened. Goalkeeper um, has played in MLS. German national with a green card. I think I asked you that. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, can you tell us more about Ben Lunt? Yeah, so he's someone who has, at least in the USL level, been on very successful Louisville teams. He was a rock in Phoenix, and then when Phoenix had a down year this year was really the only thing that stopped them from finishing dead last. Mm. He's a goalkeeper with a great frame. He's really quick off his feet. Not exactly a sweeper keeper, but solid on his line. I think he rated about the 80th percentile for goal saved above average this year. He's what you want in someone who is going to be able to bail you out. Um, he's a decent passer. I wouldn't say the best, but he's got a decent long ball, which isn't something you see from a lot of guys. Like There seems to be a real intention when he boots it long rather than just kind of this chaotic, okay, we're getting it into the opposition half. If you had to ask the top two or three goalkeepers in the USL over the past couple of years, I don't think you would get much uh, dissent in naming him in that group. Like, mm. He's been elite at this level for a long time. Very nice. It's interesting to hear you say that about the long ball. I think it's underappreciated nowadays in, in soccer. Um, and it's interesting, too, because tonight, finally, we got news that there is a plan for the central midfield. They acknowledged in, in an interview tonight that St. Louis is short in, in the midfield. Uh, but before they announced that, I was like, maybe they're going to punt on the midfield. I mean, we are a pressing team. And even though we have Roman Berkey, who can, you know, get the ball out to anyone at any moment on the field, pretty much anywhere on the field, um, maybe we're just going to punt it long. And so someone like Ben Lute would make a lot of sense in that situation. If we know our midfield isn't going to be dominant, maybe we're going to be kicking it long a lot. That's interesting to me, though. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the pressing thing and long balls can be a really strong part of that identity just mm. to get it in the opposition half and then swarm like the devil to win it back in an advantageous spot so having someone with a precise long ball or really anyone who can just boot it far is mm -hmm. kind of a plus for that system yeah you think about tim parker and you think about aaron long two guys that are used to pressing systems those are the, just the first that come to mind they're not known for their, you know, their passing out of the back. They're known for booting it long when, when the time comes. So it'll be interesting to see how they play even with Berkey. Do we play out of the back or do we just punt it um, with the guys that we have? Interesting to watch that in the near future. Uh, but let's move past Ben Lute, unless he had something else to say. Is Are we are we good there? All good there. Ben Lute, good. Good. Um, 
let's talk about players that you think would be good for St. Louis City. I gave you a couple uh, ideas of where our, what our roster looks like and some players that we could use. Let's. I'm going to let you take the reins. I'm going to try not to interrupt you too much. What are some players that St. Louis City could pull from the USL? Yeah, so just thinking towards the midfield spot initially, I was kind of trying to think about players who had some sort of availability, were on the younger side. Um, in that vein, Danny Trejo from Las Vegas Lights slash LAFC was the first player that came to mind. Um, I highlighted him two years ago when he was sort of on the fringes with Las Vegas, and he pretty much blew up last season. Um, he's 23 years old. He typically played as more of like a left winger in number 10, but he's comfortable in a deeper position. Uh, Las Vegas was a very strong pressing team. They used him and Cal Jennings as sort of this two-headed monster that would just run, run, run all game long. But the thing about Trejo was the way that uh, when Las Vegas uh, was beaten in the press, they would tend to just bunker very deep and then counterattack through Trejo. Mm. He'd come to midfield and was tasked with basically dribbling past any player that was in front of him, and he did so to great success and dragged a roster that was one of the poorest in the USL to the fringes of playoff contention. LA didn't retain him. And I think there are questions about uh, his frame and his physical strength, but he's someone that you could see someone like a St. Louis taking a flyer on because he's shown a lot of potential at this level. Um, I was also, yeah, go ahead. No, I think my only question with that is um, I've actually never heard um, of a team talking about like if the press fails then bunkering in i've never heard of that but i keep trying to and i meant to ask you this online offline but i keep trying to figure out how you know lutz doesn't our sporting director doesn't like it when people call us red bull soccer or uh, sports drink soccer because he's saying like we're not going to be exactly like red bull we're not just going to like get the ball and send it forward he says it's if we're going to be anything, we're going to be more like Hoffenheim. And so maybe I'll ask you that offline again. But that sort of seems to be similar to what Hoffenheim does. I, I wouldn't have thought it until you said it. Um, I'm sure we don't have the answer now, but I love that system. Actually, if you were to not be Red Bull, exactly, that seems very practical. If the if the press fails and you go to a bunker and you counter, that sounds like modern soccer to me. Yeah, Las Vegas. They basically ran a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2. Uh, they would keep the entire defensive line really deep, and everyone else was basically running like a headless chicken, trying to close as hard as they could. Yeah. And then that midfield group would get uh, back as quick as possible. So it was taxing, certainly. And I think there was a reason that Las Vegas fell off as the season wore on, because they just had a thin roster with tired legs. But it was an attractive uh, outlook when they were able to pull it off. Interesting, yeah. And I, I have a thought. I have a, a hypothesis that every pressing team um, is said to have a terrible defense uh, because of the nature of the tactic itself. I don't know. I know Leeds United is getting destroyed right now, and Jesse Marsh is getting destroyed because yeah. they say they have a bad defense. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Once you break the press, it's pretty much on at that point. I don't know if that if that's true, but no. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So give us some more players. Yeah, um, another one in the same vein of an ex-LAFC guy who I really like is Alejandro Guido with San Diego Loyal. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, I believe, born in Tijuana, but he has a green card. Um, he has experience in Liga MX. 
but he's really been a breakout star with San Diego under Landon Donovan. Uh, he's one of the most technical players in the USL, strong passer on both feet, uh, very creative with the ball and incisive. Some of the best through balls you'll see, good yeah. set piece taker. There are some slight questions with the intensity of the press, but I will say that he's very good recovering in transition. When he wants to turn it on on that side, he's very capable of doing so. It's just that he's more tasked with creation above everything else in that loyal system. But I think he has the chops to do it. And certainly, I think the technical ability is there. You maybe question the athleticism, more the pure speed than the strength as compared to his Trejo. But he's someone who I think could be cutting in in MLS. Yeah, we have a we have a six on our team um, from Marshall University. He's a German, and he's a really good free kick taker. He's a smart passer, but he's slow, and I think that's why a lot of teams passed on him. But we used him in MLS Next Pro, and um, I mean, he's we signed him to the senior roster. So I wonder, I do wonder, like there's athleticism and there's smarts, you know. And I think especially a German sporting director is able to kind of. Uh, push some of that speed bias a little bit to the side. So that's possible. That, that Marshall team, by the way, um, uh, they I know of two more players who were teammates uh, there who were moving on to the USL championship this year. I can't talk about the signings yet, but that team is well thought of in terms of what they're doing with development. So cool. Yeah, and well coached. And, and it's just like, sure. this. yeah, the system, like they know who to bring in and how to use them. They're really smart there. And, and it's showing the type of there's almost like a pipeline to certain types of teams and it's really cool to see Marshall like feeding teams almost like a two side to some some play some uh you know professional teams in the United States um but Guido um wasn't it two seasons ago it was Guido and there was a striker that went to RSL I think he was on loan at Loyal right and I can't think of his uh, name because yes. I'm me but I always felt That's like, like <laughs> you know, 50% of that strikers, he was so good and he is still good. He's still good at RSL, but I thought like a decent amount of his success was due to like Guido and of course Landon Donovan setting up a good attacking team. But those two together were just like lights out. It was fun to watch. Was it Rubio Rubin? It was. Yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> that took yeah. And then, but yeah, you're, I mean, speaking to it, he's the kind of guy who just generates offense, no matter what the scenario of the game, he's good at um, shepherding the ball and transition. He's good in those settled sorts of scenarios in the final third. He does a little bit of everything and there's some real magic to his game. Absolutely. Cool. All right. What's your next player? Yeah, Robbie Mertz, um, long time. Yes, he's one of my round. favorites. Yeah. So he, I think it was two years ago, moved to Atlanta United, uh, or Atlanta United 2, rather, and everyone sort of thought, okay, he's going to start the season there. He's going to make his way up to MLS because he's good enough to do so. Yes. And he never moved up to MLS. And so Pittsburgh looked at this at mid-season 2022 and thought, hey, let's bring the guy home. Yeah. Mertz is a little bit less explosive than the other players I've been talking about, but he's almost impossible to take the ball off of. Uh, he's very creative as a passer, plays a mean diagonal. And I think he's got a bit more defensive steel and defensive upside than any of the names I've given. He's much more of a true eight, number eight if you need him to be that kind of player. Uh, Pittsburgh used him basically everywhere from the six to an almost false nine or winger role at times because Pittsburgh does weird things like that. 
But um, yeah, Mertz, again, another two-footed kind of guy. He's only 26 years old. He's American. So I think there are some real uh, benefits in his profile that would make him a good candidate. Dude, if City 2, didn't St. Louis City SC2 did not exist, then Pittsburgh Riverhounds should be their feeder team. It just makes total sense. Like He demands <laughs> them to work their butts off. And for some reason, especially in the last three, four, five years, that man has figured out how to attack uh, teams in the USL and defend. You know, it's like he put it all together. What an amazing coach. What an amazing scout. Like, that man is just amazing. And Robbie Mertz is like the poster boy, right, for, for a, a Riverhounds, like, attacker slash defender. The interesting thing is that um, Lily, Bob Lilly with Pittsburgh has sort of become this plug-and-play manager where – I think for a while he had a set of players between Rochester and Pittsburgh that he relied on. And recently it's been more of, I've got a system. I can take six guys who just graduated from college, plug them in and get the same results. Yeah. So in that sense, I think it's a real feather in Mertz's cap that Bob Lilly wanted to pay a fee to bring him back because yeah. it just shows that he has the talent to be crucial to that sort of setup. Yeah. It's, and it's so funny, too, because sometimes I wonder, I'm sure you guys have ranted on this on the USL show, um, but like, or Mongols definitely has, but yeah. um, <laughs> like the fact, like it almost feels like Lily got a little bit bored and that's why he like fiddles around so much because like he, it also, it's almost like he broke the code. And like you said, he just like, he knows who to find. He knows what kind of players he wants. And he just plugs and plays them in the same roles and he's just successful year after year after year. It's just funny to watch. Yeah, he's so comfortable with the fact that they're going to be in the playoffs that he's completely fine with tinkering and seeing what if we find something that can really be game-changing. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's just a team that every MLS coach or most MLS coaches should be watching regularly and buying from, you know, because honestly, yeah. you the best USL championship teams steal from him every year, right? Multiple players now. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it should go to the next level personally, but, you know, I'm biased, so... Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Give us another player. Yeah, um, another um, midfielder here would be Eric Calvillo. Uh, he's with El Paso Locomotive right now. Got his start in the U.S. Uh, youth national setup, and the New York Cosmos signed him as a teenager. Uh, he moved on from there and was with the Earthquakes for a little bit. But I think he's really been the underrated guy in the midfield he was my MVP and really my favorite player to watch in that Orange County team that won the title in 2021. Uh, he, El Paso had a really tough season under new management last year, but Calvillo was still a really consistent performer. Hmm. He gets box to box. He's the most defensive, certainly, of any of the names I've given. But again, still a good passer, still a good ball carrier. Uh, we talked about Roro Lopez in those late runs. Calvillo has a good sense for getting to the edge of the box and attack, firing from range. And he's not like a sniper or anything, but he'll score you a couple goals a year because he has a good head on his shoulders in those situations. So he's someone that I think he's closer to like the impact of a Mark Anthony K. if we're talking about nice. someone who's made the jump up. But he has the talent and he has the pedigree to really do something great uh player comp there that really helps listeners especially you know me as someone who doesn't watch him enough i knew the name but i could yeah. not tell you what he was about that's really good stuff um if i had more time i'd ask you about the uh el paso situation and um okay. you know what was the previous coach's name that went to indy 11 
Uh, Mark Lowry. Thank you, Mark Lowry at Indy 11 has been like that move. Oh, I'm so curious. Maybe I'll talk to you after, but let's skip ahead. What's do you, I, I don't know how many players you have. Do you have a few more? Yeah, I wanted to give a sort of dual shout to two guys who probably won't be the option here, but who I think have the talent. And that would be Aiden Quinn and Kavon Lambert from Phoenix Rising. Quinn especially would be the perfect fit and for my taste is the best player that I'm going to talk about here. But he's on the wrong side of 30 Mm -hmm. and he's from Ireland. So that's sort of kind of a double whammy that makes it hard. But I mean, take any of the talents that I've talked about. He's the most intelligent defender here positionally with how he moves across the pitch. Um, He's a hoss physically, a fantastic set piece taker, as good a passer as there is in the USL. Phoenix, as I mentioned, had a pretty awful year, but he was still, I think, one of the two or three best players in the league by my player value model. Everything that he does is just fantastic. Lambert, meanwhile, he's a truer number six, but I mean, he's got a really complete game. He's a Jamaican international and consistently so at age 25. Mm. Uh, Another guy who does everything that you would want to do, does the dirty work in the midfield in a way where you're not going to notice all of the contributions, the way that he sets the tempo with his passing, the way that he makes those really last ditch tackles on the counter but he's someone who I would full-throatedly endorse for an MLS team in need of that sort of player. I don't think we can have a USL show without mentioning those two, really. I mean, if we're going to talk about the USL, like they have to come up at some point. I'm so glad you worked them in. That's awesome. Phoenix hasn't confirmed either of them is coming back yet, which is something to watch. But oh. yeah, I, I would love to see one of them get a shot in the first year. I also didn't know Kevin Lambert was only 25. Is that real? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. He got started early. I feel like he I mean, I feel like he's been at Phoenix Rising. He must have been twenty or less when he started with them. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he must have yeah, boy, it was what, twenty seventeen or so. He must have been nineteen or twenty. That's so crazy. I just assumed he was twenty five then. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it would be a dream to bring either of those. And like, you know, Kevin Lambert actually makes a ton of sense. And I thought they announced him. So they have not announced him as being on the roster next year. They've only announced, I think, maybe two players from last year is coming back. They've not done the big, here's XYZ returning, declined, etc. Which for Phoenix, who is usually pretty good about that sort of thing, has been a weird tone to set. Yeah. Uh, weird year for Phoenix in general. Um, but yeah. you know, I, they're a good club. I assume they'll, they'll recover. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, I do. And I think Juan Guerra is a really great guy to be leading that project. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Juan Guerra is amazing. So on the same level there, very nice. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? Any other players? Um, if I can move away from the central midfield real quick, Absolutely. I did have a shout. Yeah. I did have a shout for Mark Segbers, uh, mm-hmm. fullback, from the St. Louis area. Um, Killer with Memphis, had a good season with Miami. Maybe not the biggest spot of need, but him or his opposite number in Miami, Aiden Stanley, another guy with kind of the St. Louis roots, uh, but St. Louis in the USL, I think, for a time. Yes. I think either of them would be capable of taking the step up. And they're very different players. Um, Segbers being almost a pure wingback, one of the better attacking types overlappers in that role. 
and Stanley more of a hybrid center back, fullback, good in the back three if you ever need that. Mm. But I think guys with local ties with that amount of talent are always worth a shout. Yeah, I think Segbers. If I were to pick any St. Louis player that's not in MLS, I mean, he's the first one that came to mind for me for everything yeah. you said. And on top of that, like, if you're behind in a game, um, we tend to use defensive right backs um, or at least two-way right backs at the very least. Um, but at the end of a game, you throw Segbers in the game like, and give him a little bit of freedom with some defensive responsibility. Like The guy just knows how to make stuff happen out of nowhere at times, and it's fun to watch. And I know he could do that in MLS too. Yeah, completely with you for the exact reasons. How was Aiden this year? I didn't watch a lot of him. I know he made a few plays. I definitely saw some highlights where I was like, yeah, Aiden, good for you, man. I'm happy for you. Um, but how did he do with Miami this year? Yeah, so first year under uh, Anthony Pulis there, and it took a little bit of time for that team to add the personnel that they wanted to really get going. Uh, they settled on this off-balance formation that was kind of more of a back four when they were defensive, but a back three um, with the ball. And so Stanley was that pivot guy who had to get out wide at left back when they uh, were defending, but then slide in and be possessive uh, with so he had this complex role within the system, and I think he grew into it exceptionally as the season went on, really picked his spots to get forward. Um, he had a good relationship with Joaquin Rivas, the Salvadoran international on the left side. So he's just someone who is a really intelligent player. I do think he might be a step slow, maybe a shade uh, under what you would want technically for someone to make the jump, mm. but he's got a lot of heart. He gives it his all all the time. and. I mean, he could be a squad player in MLS for me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was with Austin the year before, and I watched as much as right. I could. And yes, defensively here and there, he'd get caught out, but he also didn't get a lot of minutes. So, like, I feel like he could yeah. have grown into that role. And it sounds like the challenge he was given this last year, I mean, I bet you most people aren't giving him credit for all that you just mentioned. That's a lot to deal with. They're a somewhat star-studded team for the USL, and he yeah. definitely fell under the radar. He's also, I mean, we talked about Lambert being 25. Stanley's only 23 years old, yeah. so he's got a lot left to grow, and he's shown a lot already. Yeah, I'd just love to bring those guys back into the fold. So, um, you know, put that on my wish list, of course. Um, cool. Um, so is any other players, does that cover it? I, I want to ask you about our roster if if you got some time. Yeah, sure. I'm good. Yeah. So what do you think? Looking at our roster, we're a pressing team of some sort, right? <laughs> Maybe not energy drink soccer, but we are a pressing team and, and they're, they're happy to admit it. Um, where do you see our holes? Where do you see our strengths? Any questions that you have? tactically maybe how would you set this team up let's um, you got carte blanche go yeah so again like with the caveat that i'm not the most familiar but i paid attention certainly to the dp signings uh, i paid particular attention to the lower end of the roster guys with usl experience yeah. and i'm pretty uniformly a fan of um josh yarrow who i think is fantastic as a center back uh, you just got Samuel Adener on, I think, in the last week or yes. so. Yes. And I'm thrilled about that. He could not be a more deserving player of a look. Can you and tell he us? probably would be, yeah, the fourth forward. But I'll go ahead and talk <laughs> about, I, I mean, yeah. if you want somebody who's good in the press and is comfortable in that system, Adeneron has done that two years in a row with San Antonio FC. And for me, it was probably the catalyst of what put them over the top to win the title at the end of the year. Mm. 
I think he's so dynamic in transition. I think he's very capable of tracking back defensively. He's a good shooter from pretty much any angle, which is his useful skill set. Um, he's very smart and he's growing in terms of his passing vision. I think that was what differentiated his game the most in 2022 versus 2021. 20, uh, mm. But if you're in St. Louis, or rather, uh, San Antonio played a three striker formation essentially, and you could have plugged him in at any of the roles, given him any of the responsibilities, and he would have filled it competently. He's just a very complete forward, and I think he's going to do well. Yeah, and transfer marked, he was definitely one of his secondary positions was on the wing. And I was like, what a 6'4 winger. What are we What are we looking at here? This man must be so athletic. But no, that makes total sense, especially the way San Antonio played last year. Uh, but yeah, everything you described, he sounds really similar to our DP striker. I mean, really similar, yeah. except our DP striker's Brazilian and can do some stuff in the final third. You know what I mean? But right. otherwise, right. you know, our sporting director said ex- exactly that. He's like... Even if our striker doesn't um, score a goal every other game, he, if he does all of his other jobs, then the team's going to win in general. And so he seems like a perfect fit in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think talking about Edeneron, talking about Aklaus, like these are guys who, even if they aren't getting the goal, they're making smart runs to open up their teammates if they get the ball out wide, they're driving towards the middle of the pitch with the ball at their feet and creating danger, drawing attention, and again, just creating space for their teammates. And I think that's invaluable when you consider the role of a forward in a modern system like the one that St. Louis wants to get. So they're looking for the right profile of player, and I think that's heartening to see, even if the results aren't golden immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're worried about results at first and, and low expectations you know i mean no mls team is good right away without spending a crap ton of money um right. and relying on those dp players so we have a weird setup in that way i don't know how you feel about that um i don't want to limit any other ideas you have but another thing um i'm wondering about is like he's our sporting director is doing that thing where he spends whatever it is to bring someone in uh, and he feels like he's getting value out of each player, but we're not like bringing in like high end DPs. He's some of these guys are free transfers. So they'd be DPs if they were paid for a transfer fee. But since they're not, you know, it's just an interesting setup. It's, it's different than most teams. And I think some of us are like, well, is this, you know, Cincy 2.0? I don't think it is, right. but I think some people could be forgiven for having that, that, you know, um, that fear. To me, what sets them apart from the Cincinnati tier is that Cincy almost felt a little bit chained to what they had been doing in the USL, mm. whereas St. Louis seems to be building a very particular system that is designed to succeed for what MLS is today. And they know that right off the bat, it's probably not the wisest thing to commit all your money into one big name just because that seems to be the trendy thing to do. It's better to disperse how you're putting your money into this team, where you're uh, putting your resources, so you have the flexibility to make a change when you see what's working and what doesn't. Mm. And it's all underlined by the fact that there's a real philosophy here and one that isn't just okay, here's a bunch of USL, MLS Next Pro guys that we're committed to. 
that we're going to patchwork a couple players on and hope for the best. Like, there's logic here in a way that I didn't quite see with Cincy. Appreciate you bringing that up. I feel like I interrupted your flow a little bit. Did you have more to say about uh, the way the roster is built or or maybe what you would do if you were in in St. Louis's uh, shoes? Not really specifically. I'm... What what would you say is the big need right now? Do you anticipate another big name signing or two, or no. do you think it's yeah? I don't. Um, I think it'll be like a middle of the road at best. Right. And and I think we need. If I were to, I don't know what's best for the team, and I think to a large degree we're all just like trusting Lutz Fennenstiel to make you know the right decisions. We're trusting that he's finding value um, because. I think most MLS experts are confused. They're like, this isn't how we do things. We're scared this isn't going to work. Uh, everything you just mentioned, too, um, is the response to that. And so um, basically there's been a massive hole at center mid. And um, tonight in the Super Draft, they interviewed the coach, who uh, Bradley Carnell, who hasn't gotten a lot of um, opportunities to speak to the press. And he like immediately was like, okay, we're addressing center mid with this pick. Their first pick was in the 10th round or not the 10th round, uh, somewhere around the ninth round, but he's a center mid um, from Creighton. And he looks like exactly our kind of player and Owen O'Malley, um, you know, surely was Irish at some point in his life, but American (laughs) and um, he fits the profile perfectly. And so I was relieved to see that we got at least a fourth center mid. I mean, you can't survive an MLS season with three center mids. <laughs> and so he's the fourth one. Um, but three of them are one college player and two third tier players. You know, Akil Watts, you know, played with Louisville on yeah. a very high level in the second tier. Um, so then maybe he's a plus that Schneider we talked about is the Marshall center mid player who is maybe better than the third tier, but is he MLS? Are any of these guys MLS level? And so my thought is, my wish list is bring in whatever MLS center mid MLS veteran, you know, that has at least 800 minutes or so. And there's only like three of them. Um, you know, jo- Jacoby Hayes is one that plays for Minnesota. Um, didn't get many minutes cause he's been injured. Do we rely on him for a whole season with this uh, op with this, with these backups that I just mentioned. And then there's like two more that, um, you know, I've, I've pegged as possibilities for free agents in MLS. So um, that's been my thinking is I hope we get someone experienced enough in MLS, ideally, in my opinion. And then if not, like a really high end USL player or if we're able to go out and find someone on the world market, they better be good because we can't just punt at every single game, you know, until the next uh, transfer market opens up. I don't know. That's been my worry. Um, Do any of those thoughts, um, you know, pique your interest or, or your thoughts in any way? No, I mean, that fits sort of what I've been thinking, just watching the roster come together from afar. Hopefully you get something when the European January window opens up and you just get a little bit more activity overall. I know at least in discussions with various people around USL, there's very much the sense that there are a handful of teams that are kind of waiting for the market to become a little bit more fluid and see what gives and try to pick up talent in that vein. So if St. Louis can add a central midfielder, whether that be from USL or somewhere in Europe or South America, I think that can only be a plus. 
Absolutely. I think we were so jealous. I don't know if you saw today um, the Ecuadorian signing from uh, for FC Cincinnati. They got like a 20 year old center mid that they were like just a massive engine. You know, it's like, right. yeah, oh, that's what that was what we wanted. <laughs> but he was like a three million dollar player, U22 initiative. So, um, you know, it's that's not going to happen for us at this stage of the game. So, yeah, I, I think we've just been like, where's this player going to come from? outside of these players I just mentioned to you or the USL. And so um, it was just really nice to hear him say today, the coach, like there is a plan. And that's been our like almost like hashtag there's a plan because like every single step has had an intention, intentionality to it. And so I think it's fair for us to give them that time. Um, but if the season starts without another central mid, I think that's where we, we lose our patience. <laughs> Maybe we yeah, riot because sure. it's just not there yet. It's not there yet. And I think it sounds like they would agree with me if I were to ask them that. Yeah. Gotcha. You let me rant too much. I apologize. Is, am I keeping anything <laughs> from you? Is there anything else you'd like to, to fit in? No, I'm good. And I'm happy to get the perspective, obviously. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. Um, how about the USL show? Let's close out with that. Like, what have you guys been up to lately? I don't listen regularly. I uh, I took yeah. a break, man, and I'm barely keeping up with the flyover stuff. So, so uh, catch me up, man. What's been going on with the USL? Yeah, I mean, been a good year in terms of the show, kind of finding our footing with pretty much a brand new panel across the board. Uh, Ryan and Alan staying on as sort of the stalwarts. Yeah. Taylor's holding down the fort tremendously, really running things over in general. Uh, I try to hop on. I would say I'm probably second or third best for attendance, but <laughs> we've got a big enough group that we end up with a, dis- a good discussion every Tuesday night, uh, still in your podcast feeds. Then uh, we have done a little bit of coverage of, um, we added a thing called the kit show where we've got some people talking various kits across yeah. league one, league two, W league. Uh, we've tried we've got some interviews about double league over the course of the year uh, we got an interview with what mitchell tainter right during his mvp campaign um i'm still doing the tactic show every single week yes. which credit to you for getting that thing started that's one of our uh, most popular features that we pull <laughs> off but yeah things going strong with the usl show good man i'm so happy um you guys have been carrying the torch in that regard especially kayler obviously it's it's really clear that that yeah. man puts in the work so um yeah that's really awesome um and i saw that the schedule just dropped i know that's been a big topic for you guys i think my biggest surprise is obviously that did i read correctly that three quarters of the league goes to the playoffs yeah 16 of 24 teams (laughs) love it it sounds a lot (laughs) yeah that's so typical for american sport right it is what it is um Taylor really made the best of it. I can't remember what he said, something like about, um, oh, yeah, making the uh, the home playoff game really important. That's I mean, that's a, that's a good point for sure. Yeah, no, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Any Anything else you want to leave us with tonight? 
No, I mean, I've got the plug for the USL show. We talked back healed. You mentioned at USL Tactics on Twitter. So I've got my three big things. Clearly, I'm a bit obsessed. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, thanks, man, so much for coming on. I really respect everything you do. I'm, I'm a massive fan, obviously. And uh, thanks for taking the time to fill us in on the USL. I truly lo- would love to see more USL players given a chance. And, and we have John Hackworth. So, you know, it's possible. Like, it is absolutely possible that we start digging in this kind of stuff so thanks for giving us as much an expert view on that as i think we could ask for yeah my treat and hope y'all have a good inaugural season yes sir i appreciate that we'll talk to you again i mean i'm gonna find some excuse so we'll talk to you again in the next year love it All right.